Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed, of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they having everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's our passage for today, is uh, what was just read in Acts chapter 4. But you'll also notice on that piece of paper, Acts chapter 2 is written out. And those two passages, in a lot of way, mirror each other. I'll take you through a, a lot of the background here in just a few minutes. Uh, but those two passages are, th are there so that you can kind of compare and look at, look at them both side by side, um, either on that sheet of paper or maybe you can flip back and forth in your Bible. And I actually have an exercise for us. You're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and you can even dip down into Acts chapter 4 if you'd like. And uh, I'm going to give you a few minutes to do this. What I'd like for you to do is just talk about what does the church do? So you can do that as you're sitting in your seat. You'll see that question, question that prompt is underneath those two passages on that sheet of paper. You should have a pen at your seat. Take a minute, write out what does the church do? Met for meals, very good. You'll see we have a circle up there, and I'm going to see if we can hit all the symbols in the circle. So you see the piece of bread, middle row to the right. They ate together. They took communion together. The instructions were to repent and be baptized, and uh, that top left is water symbolizing baptism. had all things in common, so they were giving to each other, uh, and that money sign is a symbol of giving. Okay, keep going. You guys are doing great. Pray together. That's the top middle prayer. Teaching of the apostles. That's the middle, bo uh, bottom row, middle, the, the word. Multiplied, top right. They're, they're making disciples. They're seeing people come to Jesus, come to faith, making disciples. Attending the temple, so they're, they're coming together to praise. Uh, that's the middle, middle. We hit all of them. Glad and generous hearts. There's, there's a loving fellowship. So now flip to the next slide. So uh, that circle represents the church being devoted to one another. There's baptism, prayer, making disciples, loving fellowship, worship, communion or sharing meals together, uh, giving, the way in which they sacrificially gave to each other, the words at the middle of it. And, and the apostles are at that time the leaders of the church. And, and so there's some sort of leadership structure. We have a lot more instruction about that as we get further into the New Testament. But that right there, as you look at Acts chapter 2 and you say, what did the church look like? Well, that's what it looked like. That's what a church looks like. So if we say, okay, well, what makes us a church? It's those things. You see those things happening. You see people baptized. You see prayer happening. You see 
us making disciples. There's a loving fellowship that takes place, a meeting of needs of each other, of caring for one another. There's worship. We're, we're holding God up high, communion, uh, giving the word and leaders. And, and, and so here we are. This is Five Points Church. Welcome again. This is us. We're starting to figure out who we are, and, and, and maybe some of you have returned another Sunday, and you're like, okay, I'm checking this out. I'm here again. Thank you. That's great. We, we, uh, we're, we're trying our best not to turn anyone off because we want people to be a part of this fellowship. We want, we want to see this church grow and reach people with the gospel, and so that's why we're here. We want to be a group of people who've had their lives turned upside down by Jesus and are just going out to share the love of Jesus with others to just share what's happened in our lives with others. So this circle is meant to say, we want to be that. And that's what we're headed towards. It, it, just to give you a little backstory, again, this is, this is our fourth Sunday meeting. And, and so lots of us are new. Lots of us are getting to know each other. If you're here one Sunday, you're just, hey, I'm just here checking it out. I'm not committed to anything. You're not committed to anything. No worries. <laughs> you're still good. Uh, you, can, you can back out. But uh, we need to ask that question as a new church well what makes us a church what what will be the the things that set us apart to actually be a church and we're moving more and more towards those things we'll have membership together as the church we will have leaders set aside for the church uh if you say well what's ahead with this church we have a vision for what's ahead we're believing big things from god for what's ahead and we could share a lot more about that but then on the other hand, like, we don't know what's ahead. We don't, we don't know exactly what God wants to do here. We, we don't know exactly, like, every little thing that's going to happen to make this church, his church, exactly what it wants to be. So we want to be obedient to him. And you'll, you'll see why I'm saying all that, hopefully, from our talk today. But uh, I do want to mention one thing just in this vein. We, we do hope, for those of you who've kind of been here, you're kind of checking things out, we do hope to have an event especially for those who, who might be saying, yeah, I'd like to, to hear more about Five Points Church. I'd like to know more about what you believe or more about where you're headed. Uh, we're going to have a special event uh, at some point. I'll give you the date very soon, probably the end of February, where we get people together to share those things and talk more about how you get involved here. So we're, we're taking it one Sunday at a time, one day at a time, and we're so excited about what God's been doing. We're so excited about how God has led us here and 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 what he's doing. But today, I need to get to a really important point. It will sound a little bit like what I've talked about the last few weeks. We're, we're in the series Acts 2 Church, and the reason we're calling it Acts 2 Church is because as a church, those of us who kind of came together to help this church get started, we said, what's our mission? And we said right there at the beginning of our mission needs to be the fact that we want to be an Acts 2 Church. What you read in that passage, we want to be that. That's the kind of group of people we want to be that, that love each other and care for each other and, and are seeing the favor of God and the power of God there. But what I need to talk about today, and this is going to take us through all the first four chapters of Acts, is, is what's behind that, if you will. What, the question has been asked, what makes you different as a church? What, what sets you apart? Now, I think that's a really bad question because, you know, like we're all coming from the same word. So you would hope all churches would in some ways be the same. You know, all churches would share these same traits and characteristics, but, but it's, it, it's a valid question. Like, what makes you different? Sometimes, you know, you're, each church is, 
in its own way unique or different or might have different outworkings here and there with things and that that's that's fine i think god sets people apart in different ways and so that they can meet the needs of different people in different ways so i don't want us to look different necessarily than a bunch of churches but but i do think it's a valid question what makes us different what's to put it another way what's 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 our secret sauce going to be at five points church anybody got a favorite secret sauce uh, if you've never been to Groove Burger, get the Groove Burger and get the secret sauce that's on the Groove Burger. It's, it's, I think it's probably the same secret sauce you get anywhere else, but I don't know. That's a great burger, so try it out. What's, what's the secret sauce? That, like, what, what is it that you're not sure like, you can quite name the ingredients? Maybe you kind of can, but you don't exactly know what to call it. You just know that like, that's, that's special. That's unique. That sets us apart. And, and so that's the question I want to answer today. What's the secret sauce of the Acts 2 church? Because that's the secret sauce we want. And, and to do that, I want to take you back through these first four chapters of Acts. And uh, so let me read all four chapters. I'm kidding. <laughs> let me just hit the highlights. Because before we get to the book of Acts, we have the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer of both Luke and Acts. Uh, and in and, and Luke's gospel, he, he tells the story of Jesus, this, the incredible life of Jesus, all the things he does, the miracles he performs, the teachings, well, at least some glimpses of what he does. Of course, Luke doesn't record every event, but he takes us through intentionally to tell us the story of Jesus. And Peter, in the book of Acts, has received the Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended to heaven. The disciples have the Holy Spirit. And they are now going out to declare who Jesus is, that he's, a, he's the Savior, that God sent him, and he was crucified. And he's telling this story, okay, in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching this. This is the day of Pentecost. And get to verse 22. You can follow along if you do have a Bible. If not, just listen. And he's preaching. He's saying, okay, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Hey guys, you were there. You saw him. You, you've heard about this Jesus. Verse 23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24 God raised him up. Before you get to that part, if you just stop at verse 23, you, I, I think it's easy for us, we know the whole story, to like not stop at verse 23 and not kind of sit there and think there is no book of Acts if we don't get to verse 24. There, there's no the rest of the story. Like At this point, it looks like this whole momentum, this whole movement of Jesus could be dead because here's these lawless men, uh, Peter calls them, who've killed Jesus. But in verse 24, it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that verse. <laughs> it was not possible for Jesus to be held back by death. That's so encouraging that, that like, it's just, it, it was impossible for God to die in Jesus. And so, even though it looked like for a moment there, if you sat in that moment of between verses 23 and verse 24, 
it looked like the Jesus movement could be dead. It, it did not die because Jesus didn't stay dead. And that's why we have Acts. That's why we have this book in front of us. And we get to verse 38. Because the people hear this. They're convicted. They're, they're cut to the heart. They ask the question in verse 37. What shall we do? Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. That's our baptism up there. He's telling them to, to pray to God, to accept Jesus, believe in what he's done. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will come and dwell in you. So all that leads to 3,000 people believing. Lots of people didn't believe, but 3,000 people did. And these 3,000 people, they're from all over the place. This is a, this is a wide variety of people that have gathered here uh, at Pentecost for this festival. And these people have believed in Jesus. And 3,000 were added to that number that day. So what did the church look like? Well, we, we talked through that last week, verses 42 through 47. We talked about this persuasive togetherness, and I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm just going to go back over that again. Of the church first gathering, and you just read that, of course. Now, what happens next? In Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John, two of the apostles, and they are at the temple one day. At the temple, they, they walk up to one of the gates, and there's a man there who's been disabled since the time he was born. And Peter directs his gaze at him, so does John, and he says, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him up, raised him up, immediately to his feet, and his ankles were made strong. Now, you can imagine if there's a guy who comes to that gate day after day after day, and all of a sudden, everyone knows and has seen him. They know the guy that, hey, that's, that's Bob over there. Bob's always, uh, you know, always been like that ever since he was born. All of a sudden, he's walking around. You can imagine the stir that that caused. All of a sudden, people are like, whoa, <laughs> what happened there? And, and so this huge crowd comes around Peter and John. It says that they're utterly astounded in verse 11. And Peter starts addressing the people. So Peter was a true preacher. Uh, he, when there's a group of people together, he just starts preaching. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. We're in the middle of the whole group. Hey, hold on, hold on. Everybody, yeah, gather around. Come up. Yep, yeah, I got something to say. And he starts preaching. He can't help it. Well, in the background, don't forget that this is, this is shortly after a man named Jesus, who he's claiming to be the Messiah, God himself, was killed. So remember, Peter and John are putting themselves in dangerous territory here. And, and so in chapter 4, we get to this part where the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees are greatly annoyed. That's another verse I love. They're annoyed. Ah, dude, we thought we shut him up, this Jesus thing. We killed him. We thought was, like that would take care of it. And they're just more annoyed. Like, why are they still talking about him? What's the deal? And so they, they come together, they, they, they bring them in, hey, let's talk about it. Peter, guess what Peter does? He preaches again. He starts preaching to them, like, hey, you crucified Jesus, this is your fault. And he, but God raised him from the dead. And, and in verse 13, another one of my favorite verses, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus what made them different 
was their close communion with Jesus. What will make us different as people that want to know God, follow God, what will make us different is our close communion with Jesus. That's it. That's the differentiating factor is us being close to Jesus puts us in a place where people will look at our lives and they'll say, whoa, where did you get that supernatural peace from? Where did you get, like right now, how are you standing up when, it, when things have been so hard? Well, I was with, I've been with Jesus. That's it. That's the only answer I can give. And that's Peter and John. And, and they're, they're annoyed by Peter and John. And so the best thing they can come up with is like, look, guys, I don't want to cause a big stir here. We just need you to stop talking about Jesus. Just don't talk about him. Just don't do it. <laughs> Peter and John, what, what do you think they're going to say? Uh, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Have you experienced God like that? Have you experienced God like that where, where you're like, if somebody told you, you know, you, know, you can't talk about God, like that, that you, I, I, can't, I can't help it. <laughs> I have to. I, I've, I've met with God. I've seen him. I've encountered him in such a way that like I've got to talk about him. So that's Peter and John, and that's what they've experienced. I want to to point out verse 22. It says, For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This sign of healing was performed. Yes, this man, uh, Peter and John, healed him because, glory to God, like his his legs or whatever it was that was causing that disability needed to be healed. And God wanted to make it right. But ultimately, it was a sign pointing to the power of Jesus. The reason for that miracle was so that people's eyes would turn to Jesus. Because, and, and this man stood between, like, what these, these uh, Jewish leaders wanted to do with Peter and John and, and, and them from doing it. Because here's this man who, who had been disabled his whole life for 40 years. And there he is standing in front of him. It's like, we can't deny it. <laughs> He's standing right there. We can't deny it at all. And so Peter and John have been warned very st- strictly here. Don't talk about Jesus. And they say, well, how is, what do we do? Now, you can imagine after that kind of encounter, them coming back to their friends, this little group of believers in Jesus, they come back and they're like, oh, boy, you're never going to believe what happened today. We're at the temple, heal this guy. We get in big trouble. They don't like it at all. They bring us in, you know, so-and-so, you know those guys. They bring us in and start questioning us. Now they're telling us we can't talk about Jesus. What should we do? Look what they do. This is the early church in verse 24. So t- they've just told all their friends what, they, what has been said. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Their first move, that's what we say on our, our values, prayer is our first move. Because the early church, that was their first move. So when they come back, they say, hey, here's what happened, guys. They, they, the very first thing they do, they lifted their voices together to God. Now listen to the prayer. This is incredible. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people, peoples of Israel, to do whatever you, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They, they knew that this was God's work to send Jesus to the cross. That's what they're saying there. In verse 29, they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. These very same people that, that, that killed Jesus, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, here's their prayer request, to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So their prayer is, all right, God, they're threatening us. Just like they killed Jesus, they could totally take us out. This is what they do. And what we're asking is, would you give us boldness? That's the prayer. Now, how does God answer a prayer like that? How does God answer a prayer when we're facing adversity, when we're facing a tough situation, when we're facing persecution even? What do you think God does? When we don't say, God, will you, will you make this better for me? We just take this away. But we say, God, will you make us bold in the middle of it? Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together were shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So when they pray, God doesn't answer, here, I'll make you guys safe. I'll take away your persecution. I'll make sure everything's okay, or you get a good return for all the things you put up with in this life. What's his answer? What's God's answer? Think about that. His answer is, I'm going to give you even more of myself. You're going to get me in an even greater degree because you know what when you when you get in the middle of this where where you're being persecuted for my sake you don't get less of me in those moments you get more of me and that's the pattern through the rest of the new testament when 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 it's it, it doesn't make sense like much of following after god and life with him it doesn't make sense at least at like our logical human flesh level. It doesn't make sense to, when we're facing hard things, to, to like go deeper into them with, with God and meet him there further. It seems like we should run away. It seems like we should, like something's off. Maybe I didn't read it right. Maybe something's, maybe something's wrong here. Like what, what happened, God? You're not coming through for me. And God's like, no, 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 I want to meet you there. I want to meet you there. His answer in the face of persecution, is not to make things better, but to give more of himself. And I think that's what we want. I hope that's what we want. If you're a believer, I hope that's what you want. Like, we, we want to meet him like that. And, and that's really, I would argue, our deepest need. Okay, so picture this. Maybe it's not so hard for some of you to picture. You get in a fight with someone you're close to, Okay. Um, I don't want to bring up any, any hard things, maybe that just happened even on the car ride today or on a walk over here today, but you, your spouse, picture you and your spouse, maybe you had a little tough, maybe a roommate, maybe a sibling, you got in a little fight, and, and, and next thing you know, it's evolving, and it's getting worse and worse, and you're like, what are we even fighting about? You gotten to that point before? No one's shaking their head. Come on, shake your head at me, because I, I know I'm not the only one. You've gotten to that place, 
and, and you're like, what are we even fighting about? I think it was about the way that someone unloaded or loaded the dishwasher. I'm not even sure. And we're, we're getting upset at each other about that. Like, that's such a small thing. But, but it has become a big thing because at some point somebody brought up what, so what, what the other person had done to them like three years ago and how it hurt their feelings then and how, how it's still haunting them. And, and it's evolved into just like where, what do you do? Think, think, I'm sorry if I'm bringing up bad memories, but what, what do you do? Like, it, you, you start going, like, I'm not giving in. I don't want to be the one to give in. I don't want to be the one that, like, has to give in in any way, shape, or form. And what I really want to do is get my point across of why they hurt me and why I had it right and why they had it wrong. Well, occasionally, if my wife and I are at that point, occasionally one of us is, uh, what's the right word, smart enough or just mature enough or been married long enough to know, like, one of us will be like, let's just give each other a hug. Just need a hug right now. And, and it's amazing. And, like, everything resists. Like, I don't want to give a hug right now. It's giving in. It's giving in right now. But it's amazing, like, if we give each other a hug, how you, like, oh, that was so stupid. What are we fighting about? I'm sorry. Because what we didn't need was just to get our point across. What we really needed was the love of that other person. As a church, this, this is where we can confuse things. We will, we, like, think sometimes we need to get more disciplined. We need to buckle down a little more. We need, we need to, like, become a better person. And what we need is to encounter God. What we need is to meet God. Uh, this may be, like, I don't, I don't feel, like, I feel like it's very simple what I'm saying, but, but like, you, as I was working my way through this this week, I was like, Lord, I don't know exactly how you want me to say this and God just kept saying like people need to hear this when you get in the middle of hard things this week when you get in the middle of like thinking where do I need to go next in my walk with God it's not like well let me think about how do I check these little things off the list of what it means to be a Christian those things may be it don't get me wrong I, I know this is a weird way to talk through this but it's us in our minds going back to we, we need God we need to meet with him. We need to really see him face to face, heart to heart. We need to know who he is and what he's about and, and get in touch with him right now. That's what we need to truly encounter God. Like, so we hope on Sundays when we come together like this that the number one thing that happens is we encounter God together. That we truly meet with him. Like, more than anything else, more than you going home and saying, I took a couple good notes, I've got something to work on this week. Like, that would be great, that's awesome, that's helpful. We, we, we want to be super practical, don't get me wrong. But everything else falls to one big thing, and that is you meeting with God. You seeing the Creator face to face, you knowing Him, and falling more in love with Him. So, that's what we need. We need God. After all this happens, okay, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta move a little more quickly here. After all this happens, what, what happens next? Verses 32 through 37 is the passage we read. It took a long time to get to our passage today. 
but you read it. It's a, it's a clear passage. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't have to do a lot of explaining. It, 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 it's like you, you, you can see it and know it and feel it and go, yeah, that's, that's amazing. People were selling things, land and houses. How many of you are thinking about selling land and houses to meet needs right now? I mean, that, this is crazy to, to meet the needs of others. I described it last week in that passage that really mirrors this one in Acts chapter 2 as a persuasive togetherness. Can you pull up that slide, Mark? We talked through four things here. We talked about the per- persuasiveness of this community, and I did a little work this week, and I was like, I really want to like sum this up well. It's, it's what's happening in chapter 2. It's what's happening in chapter 4. Here, here, here it is. Look at these points next. Uh, awesome power. You see it in verse 33 that with great power, the apostles were giving testimony. In, in chapter 2, it's, it's great signs and wonders. There's awesome power. That's, that's what's bringing people in and saying, man, look at what, how this community is different. It's how we look at a passage like this and say, wow, look at that church. There's a selfless generosity. We just talked about that in verse 34 and 35 as people are selling houses and land. There's a tangible care. They're, like, they're not just like doing this to put it on a show, but they're like, there's a real need. I'm going to take care of a real need. We want to be a church that takes care of real needs. We want to do like tangible care things, like where we, we say like someone needs food. We're going to get them food. Unity, even diversity, I, I spoke to that last week, how in this group of this early church, it's not like everyone looks the same and is the same. They're coming from all kinds of different places. Uh, what Peter describes, um, or, or Luke describes, I'm sorry, in chapter 2 is from the whole world. Um, joyful humility Verse 32, it's, they were of one heart, one soul. No one said any of the things that belonged to him were their own. And there's a prevailing favor. Here it says in verse 33, there was great grace on them. In, in, chap, in chapter 2, it says that, uh, that with great favor, people were looking at this early church. That's the persuasiveness of this community. And we want to be a church like that. And there's a purpose to this community. It says that they were coming together for the word, for prayer. That was that circle. So there was a purpose to what this church is about. And not just a, a purpose, uh, them going together after God, but there was a product. We talked about that last week. We talked about how the Lord was adding to their number daily, those being saved. So there's a product to, to what's happening in this early church. People are turning to the Lord. And then finally, this is the part I said I would talk about this week. Um, you can go back to that first, sorry. Go back to that very first slide. So you see it all, all together. The, the, the power, the purpose, the product, and, and the persuasiveness of this community. The power. That's what I'm getting to in this talk. Their fellowship with God and seeking him above all else. The, them being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the secret sauce of this church. That's, that's the power of this church. You can have the purpose... You can have a persuasiveness, but ultimately, those are really only possible. All those outworkings in the product especially only take place if the power is there. It's the power of God. So I'm saying, as a church, we'll never be an Acts 2 church, and we'll never be the church that God calls us to, calls us to be, unless it's the power of God working in us. 
It's a spiritual work that must take place in us. It, it's, it's not, um, again, it's not us saying, well, we're going to get together. We're going to make sure we don't sin. We're going to make sure we read the Bible, make sure we pray, we make sure we practice all the things Christians are supposed to practice. Those are good things. That's what God wants us to do. But ultimately, if God's not behind them, they're all dead. God has to be there working. So how is it that people are selling all their stuff? And meeting needs. Well, it's a supernatural work of God through this, through his Holy Spirit working in the church. How even when people are arrested, do they continue to boldly proclaim the gospel? Well, it's the supernatural work of God through his Holy Spirit working in the church. How is there such unity among such a diverse group of people? How is it they're so focused on worship and prayer? How is it that they're seeing these great miracles? It's the supernatural work of God through his Holy Spirit working in the church. Let me just say just a, a few last things here. I'm, I'm close to finishing. This was no perfect church because quickly you move from chapter 4 into chapter 5 and you find out that this is no perfect church. Ananias and Sapphira, a couple in this church, they sell some land, they bring it to the church, they set it before the elders, and they say, oh, hey, uh, here's, here's the money from the sale. And it turns out that they didn't really give all their money. They made it sound like that, but they didn't. They only gave a portion of it. And they held some back for themselves. And verse 4, let me just read that. In verse 4, it says, while Peter says this, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? It wasn't that they had to give this gift. Peter says, it was yours. But after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? Pay special attention to that. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Could you imagine that? You know, hey, you bring your offering here today. Hey, thanks for bringing it. Thanks for bringing it. We don't do that. But that, I've been in churches where you bring your offering up to the front, and everybody's doing that. And then and they're like, hey, here's my offering. And then a few minutes later, boom, he's dead. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's... This is, this is early church stuff happening. I think it's, a, in many ways, a special case because of where the church was at and the fragility of this church. But nevertheless, something's going on in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira here. And the early church is not perfect. The early church had their flaws. Every church is going to have its flaws. We're going to have things in our church that aren't going to be exactly right. And it goes back to our heart. This is personally where God's been meeting me at. He says, I want to do a work in your heart, Joel. Will you let me? Because what Peter and John had to get to is to a place of surrender where they said, even if it means our lives, God, we surrender that to you. Do you really want to meet God? Because if you do, it will mean surrendering whatever it is you have. I'm talking about the power of God, and to, for us, it's, it's not something you just tap into. You say, okay, like, let's, let's do this certain kind of prayer, and we tap into it. The power of God comes when we surrender to him. As a church, it's just a, you, we'll see the power of God come when collectively, and it starts at this individual level, we all start surrendering to him. And, and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up until this whole church is just surrendered to him in a way where it's like, God, whatever it is you want, we want.
forget our thoughts and our preferences. God, whatever it is you want. And then we see the power of God. Here's, here's the big idea of this talk. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit working in each of us to exchange all that we have for all that he is. We'll see the power of God come when we exchange all that we have in our hands, everything that we have at our disposal, everything that, that we could possibly want to give up, or not want to give up, any, anything that we could possibly give up, we say, here it is. And this is hard, like in a, just a moment of transparency for me to go to God and say, okay, really, like, I want, I want you to have all my heart, God. Give, here it is, because I want to see you come in power. <laughs> this is hard. Like, it, it forces you to do things like go and start churches, when that's not the easiest thing to go do. And, and, and to get up here and go, okay, here's where I'm at. I'm going to be transparent. Do you see this? Like, when they, when they meet God, it's dangerous. Two people ended up dead. And, and Peter and John's lives are on the lines, even if they do exactly what God says. God wants your heart, and he wants your heart, not so that you don't get to do, like, all that you hope to do and have fun with your life. God wants your heart because it's going to be so much better. Uh, that's, that's my testimony. Like, I'm old enough now to be able to say, lived enough life. I still got, I'm still young to some of you, but I've lived enough life to be able to give a testimony that going with the Lord at times will feel like I'm giving up a lot, but it is always better. It's always better. Like, getting in with him and following him is always better. It's always sweeter. It's, it, it's life is full of joy and, and all the good gifts that he gives. I want to invite you to a time of prayer where we're going to be really intentional about asking you to surrender to God. And I don't know where you're at spiritually, but I'm going to call all of you, no matter where you're at spiritually, to surrender to God ask you to truly just hold out your hands. Do this with me. I want you to just pray, pray with me. So if you will close your eyes. If, if you can't focus by closing your eyes, you can keep your eyes open. It's not the end of the world. And maybe you'd be willing to just open up your, your hands and say, God, I don't know what this looks like and what this will be, but I, I really want to surrender to you anything that I have and all that I am. I've been praying through this week as I prepare for this message. People are praying right now that God would move us to a place of surrender. It all starts there. The whole, everything with Christ starts at surrender. It starts with us picking up our cross to follow him. It starts with us saying, it feels like I'm giving up a lot, but in the end, we actually gain everything in Jesus. So return again to a place of surrender. Even if you have surrendered all to him to begin with, we, re we return there again to, to say, Jesus, have it all. Whatever you want to do with my life, whatever you want to do with this church, whatever it is you want to do, God, all that I have, I want to exchange it for all that you are.
All that I have for all that you are. All that I have for all that you are.